What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The Therapy is a Christian podcast is all things mental health and Christ. We specifically talk about how mental health and God are merged together to foster growth, healing, and making mental health a normal conversation. I'm your host, Roz and Renee, and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Therapy is a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Roz and Renee, and welcome to another episode of the show. Hi, y'all. I am super excited today because I get to interview one of my favorite people who not only was a previous client of mine, but she also now has a podcast. And I'm so excited for you to hear about her story, her testimony, but also receive a bunch of bunch of information as it relates to caregiving. So I know that caregiving is something that I've never talked about on the podcast And so I am so excited to have her to share her insight because she has a ton of insight. For those of you who might have recently, maybe younger, um, be a caregiver for someone as a parent, or you might be a mom, a wife, and having to take on the responsibility as a caregiver. And so I met Miss Marianne actually... I want to say it was in 2021, she joined my program for Show Up Sis. I had the beautiful opportunity to coach her um, in that program. And then I have met her actually in person. And then we also got a chance to work together doing this. So I'm so, so excited for you all to meet her and hear her story. So Miss Marianne, why don't you say hi? Well, hello, everyone. So happy to be on the Kristen podcast with Rosalind. Um, This is a journey. Uh, You know, I always tell people as a caregiver, caregiving is not a solo activity. You know, for sure. You're not going to be doing this all by yourself. But a lot of us think good. That's the part that um, we don't understand. And no one tells us that. Right. You know, and so coming to being able on the, being able to be on the show just to share some nuggets with you guys is going to be so awesome. Yeah. So I want you to go ahead and start with telling us a little bit about you and what you do. All right. So and yeah. don't skip Miss Marianne, because I know you got a lot <laughs> that you do. I know. I know. First of all, I am a registered nurse and um, I'm a veteran as well. So um, being a caregiver is not um, like what I would say. It has always not, I mean, like it has always been a passion of mine, I can say. And so a little bit about me is that I love people <laughs> and I love taking care of people. And so I have to be careful about that though. You know what I mean? Because when you care so much about others, you know, you take on different roles. Mm-hmm. And so as a caregiver, you know, I have um, two children, adult children and three grandsons. And so um, be- being in that role as well. And uh, I have now I had nine siblings and I have five left, five of us as well. And so the role of being a caregiver started for me at an early age when I was caring for my mom, you know, um, not actually knowing I was caring for my mom, mm-hmm. 
because she was an insulin dependent diabetic. Really? And, yeah. And so, and that was early on in my age uh, that I learned that um, not really, not really not having a knowledge of insulin dependent diabetic mm -hmm. versus a diabetic type two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so. Because they are both different. Right. They are both different. And so my mom lost, was losing her eyesight. And one day she came to me because, you know, quote unquote, you know, they always have that chosen child in the family. You don't know you to be the chosen one. You don't and know that. Started, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm serious. And so things start happening. And so she was, she, she started to share with me that she couldn't see the line. She would tell me, okay, it has to be at, and she was really high. It has to be at 55. And so she said, but I can't see it. And so I would take that little syringe, pull up. I didn't know it was insulin at the time. You know, I just pull up what my mom told me to pull up. And then I would watch her give herself this injection in her stomach. And so she would say, before you, <clears throat> excuse me, before you go to school, we're going to do, uh, uh, or the night before, I'll pull it up for her and she'll have it in the fridge. So, so how old were you during that time? I was only 12 years old. Wow. 12 wow. years old. And I so really for a lot of people, that may be, especially if your parent has had a lifelong medical issues, like it almost becomes a unspoken responsibility of like sometimes helping them through that. Um, so you kind of got a taste of that a little bit at 12. Okay. Yes. I got a taste of that a little. And then I had more concern. I think I had the more concern about her because I knew some of the things that she couldn't see you know what I mean and seeing you know looking at her eyes and as I'm a you know I'm just in 12th grade but at that time you start to learn a little bit about science in school different things you know of that sort and so when I would come home I'm like you need glasses or you got your glasses on but you couldn't she couldn't really see you so, know it's so interesting you said that because my grandmother my dad's mom um my grandmother became blind from diabetes I was really young so I probably was I can remember staying at her house during summers and I want to say I was around eight or nine she was blind and then completely like completely blind but it wasn't like a blind where she had to use a walker or a stick she would primarily be in her house but she knew her way around her house mm -hmm. so she could literally tell me where she, she knew even though she was blind where she was going. But I can remember when I was early on as a, as like as a little kid, when we lived um, in California, I probably was maybe three or four. I can remember she could see cause she would dress me and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting you said that because I can think of as I've gotten older when I was around her, cause she passed probably in, it was before me and Nico got married. So it was around like 2017, 2018. I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but she, um, we had to do a lot for her, like take her to the store or, and at the time we didn't have Instacart, we had none of that stuff we have now, but she would like tell me to dial Nordstrom for her. Um, Cause she would order all this stuff off Nordstrom girl. I don't know why Dillard's and all kind of stuff, but like, it would be so interesting to see like the care we had to have for her because she couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. She could pull her pills out of her bottle. She would put certain rubber bands in certain parts of her pill bottles to be able to like know what pill was what, but she would tell me, read that to me. 
And so you think as a kid or a young adult, like, oh, I'm just helping my grandmother. You're not thinking that you're actually part of their caregiver plan. Yeah. Like what that looks like. Yeah. And see, back in the day, we were caregivers without even knowing. And I can remember the time my dad was the caregiver for his parents. You know what I mean? Getting them from Mississippi and bringing them home, bringing them to Chicago, where I live at now. And, uh, you know, making sure that they, they, they had a place to stay. So those things happened when I was younger. <clears throat> so going back to mom, eventually she had cataracts in her eyes. Mm-hmm. As I aged, you know, got older, I think she had the surgery. I probably was in high school when she wound up getting the surgery for the get the cataracts removed, mm. you know, from her eyes. And, um, and that got better for her as far as seeing, you know, having her glasses and you cataracts removed. Because as time moves, medical uh, procedure, medical technology, everything medical gets better as time moves on. But also, mom has to be receptive to that. Yes. And that's a, and so that's a big thing I, I would love for you to kind of touch on. I can remember, and I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I completely forgot like all the stuff that we used to do for my grandmother. But like we would clean her house. We would um, go over there and like, she never, ever needed help with bathing. She like, as in, as even though she was blind, that she had some level of independence, but there was still, of course, very apparent detriments as far as being able to just live a normal life. Mm-hmm. What do you think, especially as the, as the, not the caregiver, but the person she always felt like she never wanted to burden people. So she would Most try definitely. to figure out all these ways to like do things independently. I can remember there were times I would help her like cut vegetables and she would tell me what knife to use, give me the knife and she would hold it and cut it. And I'm like, grandma, how are you even cutting all this stuff? She's like, girl, I got to figure it out. Cause I don't want nobody to have to, I still want to be able to live my life a little bit. But so for the person, what do you find, especially difficult for them as they're transitioning from being maybe even fully independent to now having to rely on people it's very hard when they um like a person that has the illness and have to depend on someone else they don't want to lose their independence. and so i would definitely say with um probably with your grandma i don't know as far as what was the healthcare system like what was her odds of being fully blind to having some type of surgery regarding to yeah, her she eyes. Couldn't, she couldn't have she a had, surgery. She yeah. probably had glaucoma. I couldn't, re- I can't remember. Yeah. But, but sometimes, you know, with diabetic, you get glaucoma. And at the end of the day, uh, it does cause you to go completely blind. Yeah, if, she was completely blind. She yeah, couldn't once the, uh, it detaches, it's, you know, you just, it's nothing else that they can do at that time. Mm-hmm. But now we have different things, you know, technology is totally different now. But seeing that uh, when she was, um, she wanted to keep her independency. And so she was trying, doing all the things to say, you know what, I can do this. You know, that pride right there, you know, because our pride, our pride would keep us from saying, yeah. okay, I need help yeah. in this. But I also want to make sure that they don't put me, you know, because she's thinking about in her head, okay, where they're going to put me if I can't take care of myself and yeah. house by myself, yeah, yeah. if they're going to take my house away, yeah, yeah. if they're going to make me, you know, get in a nursing home yeah, somewhere, you know, yeah, all those yeah. things come to, you know, uh, other people when they're ill 
and don't want to be, uh, you know, don't want to continue with their regular, want to continue yeah. with their regular life, but not knowing what will happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. So even not even for just the caregiver, because I, I want you to touch on that too, but even for the, the patient, or I don't say patient, but the person that you're taking care of, mm -hmm. emotionally, they're going through their own transition yeah. and their own life struggles. Like I can think of, and this is a very small, like a, it's not the same, but it is like, I can think of postpartum having to have people take care of me while I'm laboring, having people take care of me after I have the baby. That is like a very different type of um, moment because you're so used to being mobile and then you can't, I can think of when my mom had cancer, she's so used to being mobile and then having to have people literally like bring her water tuck her in the bed, like those types of things that you don't think about, they're going through their own transition. So for the caregiver, what do you, what have you found for yourself and also people you have assisted are some of the kind of the struggles that they have because caregiving itself is extremely exhausting. Well, I can I, think of like my dad, I can think of my aunts. So what kind of things have you seen for yourself? Also the struggles you have also seen for other people. Well, the other thing is definitely burnout you know what I mean that burnout part back in the day we didn't call it burnout uh we called it uh I, I'm just tired <laughs> you know but now it's burnout it's fatigue it's anger you know because you angry because your family members you know need your help all the time so now you don't have that life that you had your independent life but also having picking on that responsibility mm -hmm. and uh you're not able to tell you know you will talk to the other person your other family members and tell them everything that's going on but you are that person mm -hmm. you know that it factor <laughs> you know that totally yeah no on. one can like take care of them like you and i can even think of like with caregiving of thinking about a special needs child like for a yeah. parent who's having to caregive for a special needs child so there's there's anger, mm -hmm. there's burnout, there is advocacy, I'm pretty sure. Talk yeah. about the advocacy piece and like the struggles with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. You know, with smaller children, um, I worked at a facility a while back with uh, um, small children. I, I want to say age ranges from seven to 20. They can they uh, age out of this facility. But at any rate, they were, um, you know, had autism, different illness that their parents couldn't take care of them, you know? And so um, from Monday through Friday, they live at this facility and they had to have uh, paralegals, you know, paraprofessionals come and take care of them, just the basic needs and had a nurse like myself come to there to do like G2 feedings or medications, different things of that sort. That the, That's the part that the family members couldn't take care of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. choose to have to learn how to do those things, but also they have to work, you know? So the working parent that cannot not work <laughs> to take care of the family uh, has to work. So sometimes they have to release, be able to release the children to other caregivers, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and it's get shameful. You feel shameful. A lot of times parents, when they're in that position, they feel shameful that they don't have their children with them. Also, they feel shameful. about What did I do wrong that my child is like that? I'm so glad you brought that up because I can think of, um, I have so many thoughts about this too, Miss Marianne. 
I think what's important to I want to drive home for people to understand is the emotional side mm-hmm. of this because I think it's the thing that's not discussed. I there are times where I've helped certain clients through like them having to be their caregiver or somebody, but also still have boundaries for themselves in the interim. So I want you to touch on that in a second. But uh, my son, which my oldest, which will now be by the time people listen to this, I had two kids. So I'm currently pregnant, but my oldest son um, had uh, ear infections like consistently the first year of his life for a good period of about six months. He had consistent back-to-back ear infections. And the doctor kind of told us, oh, you need to think about getting tubes for him because this could impact his speech. At the time I'm thinking, this ain't going to be nothing. Mm -hmm. So now he's 22 months and he's in speech therapy because of a speech delay that he was told he had, or they told us he had because of the ear infections. He couldn't hear for a good period of time. And I remember going through the feeling of before they officially evaluated him, questioning what's wrong, like, what did I do wrong? What more could I have done? Getting angry. I remember feeling so angry at his daycare lady, even though this isn't her fault. Mm -hmm. It just like feeling so angry towards the people that are providing care. Me being frustrated with my husband because he and I are like on two different spectrums of the way we feel about this. And just feeling so isolated and alone in my feelings around it because I felt like as a, as a mom, I should be doing everything. So when something happens and then you are the caregiver and you feel, essentially you feel powerless, you feel very helpless. And like you said, you feel shamed of what should I have done? And so for people that are like taking care of the person that they love, what are often you find, I know you talked about burnout and all of those other things. What are some other emotions that you find that come up often? Uh, sometimes I find the emotions of giving up, you know, um, you know, with a child, you don't do that. But I usually focus more on the adult person mm-hmm. um, because at as time that, you know, as a caregiver, we feel like we need to give up and put our loved ones in a nursing facility. And it costs you so much money you know, to change, you have to do so many things. Instead, I feel like instead of giving up, you need to, uh, I want them to, as a caregiver, life coach, I want them to learn how to navigate that system, how to navigate that frustration. You know, okay, I'm frustrated about this, but how can I change it? Mm. I'm angry about this, but how can I change this anger? You know, what are some of the services that's out there can help me with my family while they're at home with me. It is services are available, but sometimes as a, a healthcare providers, the doctors, some of the nurses, they don't know. Some nurses know, but sometimes they do not share. And so when you don't know these things that's available to you and you can keep your loved one at home, or for instance, when you're in your situation, when your child, the doctor told your child that the child needed the ear, um, uh, ear tubes, uh-huh. you wasn't aware that that could have changed a lot of things if they would have gave you like, okay, mom, let's, let me get you in counseling. Let me let you talk to another person that child had the same symptom, but 
we allowed them to get the ear tube and now things are different. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, he's been in speech the, therapy for like a right. month and it's like These are the things that I different. see as being in a healthcare for over 35 years that our provider does not provide for people in general when they have these difficult, difficult conversations with difficult decisions to make, you know, and feeling like, okay, you know, I know that we all you know, Christian people, and we always want to say, okay, God going to fix all of this. But sometimes you have to be knowledgeable. God, that's why God put a lot of doctors, you know, counselors, things of that sort on this earth. So then we can get that counseling or we can get that knowledge from someone else and say, okay, I'll give it a try. Because I believe that if you would have spoke to a, a mom that had with those dudes in and she saw the difference, you would have said 100%. Come on, put these tubes in my baby ears. Listen, yeah, it was. I And I, we put the tubes in, but I will say the there wasn't until after I started to see some of the delay that I was like, no one I knew who had a kid. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, no you one know, who had a kid. With mm -hmm. All my friends who had had kids, their kids were talking. Yeah. So it was like, I did not know how to cope. Yeah. And it wasn't until I actually joined a mom group and I randomly researched in the group speech delay and I saw all the moms talk about the emotions they felt around their kids having the speech delay or getting speech therapy. Mm -hmm. I remember the day I read it, I bawled and I did not realize how much I had had built up from this because again, I'm praying, I'm calling the Holy Ghost down like, okay, Lord, come on. Yeah. But at the same time, I was also in denial around him getting, around him getting speech there because I was like, he doesn't need this. Or, or even the people around me were like, oh, some kids just don't talk. Sometimes they are late talkers. You don't have to worry. But I was concerned and wanted to advocate for my kid, but I didn't have the resources to know how. Mm -hmm. And so even with that, like you said, there were other things I could have known beforehand if I had had someone to kind of guide me through the process. So not only, so let's kind of switch back to adult caregiving, because I know that that's your area of, fo of focus, mm -hmm. but talk about for people, some of the other things that come up with caregiving. So I know you've mentioned to me before the financial responsibility yeah. and like navigating that and like medical documents and all that. So talk about some of the struggles. Yeah, that definitely. You know, as I was, you know, I was a provider for my dad. My mom passed away in 1994. So that just switched over, you know, uh, she, when she got sick and went to the hospital, she never came back home. Mm -hmm. um you know and I was in the ER I can remember when I was in the ER you know you don't want that person to say you know please take care of your daddy because I don't know what he gonna do if something happened to me now she left that responsibility boom right on me oh talk about that because I think that there's not often times and then we'll switch back to the financial there I think there's not often times when people are caregivers the expectation that the the person we love puts on us to take care of them and also take care of other people. And yeah. I, I know that there are people that I have helped um, in counseling that feel the responsibility and also the obligation that they have to do all of this on their own. Oh my so God. they never, they never relinquish it or they almost feel like it's an ode to the person. So talk yeah. a little bit about that. That was, that was me. You know, I felt that because she gave me that responsibility. That was the last time she officially talked to me. 
words out of her mouth. After she left that ER, she had a, um, I think she had like cardiac arrest. We had to rush back to the hospital and they had to put on, you know, she got intubated, never came off of that. But these are the last words she said to me. Now I got this big responsibility of taking care of my father. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, she didn't tell nobody else. I'm the only person was there. Now, so how do you navigate that? And uh, oh wow, it was it was hard. I but I'm gonna let you know it was hard. At first, I thought it was gonna be an easy task. Um, you know, I'm a known caregiver. You know, I was you know I was uh, caring for the soldiers in the army. Okay, you know, uh, you know I I wasn't a registered nurse at the time, but I had experience. And so um, once everything happened, um, um, first part is. The sad part is I had to take dad out of his own, his own environment. Wow. And that was the hardest part for me is taking him out, him out of his own environment because he wasn't being provided for in his own environment. You know, and when I came and saw him not being provided for, I'm like, no, my mother told me to take care of you. And was he in a, to, was he in a nursing no, home? He was or? in a home with other siblings. Oh, so he had other siblings that were taking care of him. In this home wow. with him. Wow. But they wasn't taking care of him. Wow. And that was hard for me because I'm next to the youngest and these are older siblings and not taking care of dad. Oh, so your siblings? My siblings. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So the, I, you they said don't, siblings. You know I mean? I they don't have that. They think, you know, when you have a, and that's the issue, you know, with, with, with being a caregiver is when you're the chosen one to be that caregiver for the family member and your other siblings is either in the home with them or in their own home, but they said, I'm going to help you, but they do not. And so you have that, you know, difficult conversation with your siblings or, you know, you're fighting with amongst each other or whatever. But at the end of the day, who's, you know, who's going to take care of that? All right, that's what I need to know. And I said, I was sent a, I was the one that my mother told, our mother told me to take care of them. So if you guys are not going to do it, so I allowed them another month. And every time I would get off of work, come over, he still don't look the same. He's deteriorating. What was his diagnosis? So he had uh, early onset dementia after my mother died. They were married for 54 years. Just imagine being that person, that lady being, that man being your person, taking care of you. Y'all do everything together. First of all, I'm I'm in my 30s. So imagining we, being with one person for 50 years, I ain't even there yet. But right, girl, girl. I, <laughs> girl, like that, like I say, yes. I couldn't do it. And I was, I, you know what I mean? I tried to. I did 21. <laughs> <laughs> so, so once he hit uh, early onset dementia, uh-huh. Of course, that's a progressive diagnosis. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did your siblings understand it? Did they know what to do? Was it kind of, did you feel like it was negligent on their part? Or was it just kind of like they just didn't know or they didn't want to know? Like, what do you think it was? I think they felt like, I know they had a broken heart. You know what I mean? And so uh, the siblings felt like if they got him another woman, you know, these are guys, my brother, they got him another girlfriend or get him a girlfriend, he'll do better. You know what I mean? But all of that didn't, that wasn't a substitute for his wife, the care that his wife was giving him. You know what I mean? And so I would hear these things from other people. I said, let me go back over here and check on my daddy. These people doing all this craziness, you know, come on now. Yeah. So, 
one time I just came over there unexpected. I said, oh, no, uh-uh. Daddy, you got to come up out of here. They could keep this house, but they are not going to no, neglect you and your care. Yeah. yeah. So wow. you advocate even with siblings. Yeah. And that's it's super interesting, too, because I have so many stories, obviously. I, all of them are coming up now. But I remember my uncle, uh, when my uncle got sick, he had... um. He passed in 2020, mm-hmm. um, but my mom was his power of attorney. My aunt was the second person that was kind of like helping to take care. And then my uh, step uncle was also assisting. And I can remember my mom always saying she would be so frustrated with just the way they all did things differently. But it was like nobody was really like looking at the whole picture of his care Mm-hmm. Where she's like, I know I physically can't take care of him. So she would call the nurse at home. She would call the state. She would call all of his um, doctors and all of this. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just like, we just got to make sure you take his medicine. And I'm like, and so she would feel so frustrated because she felt like she was the only one managing. Mm-hmm. And so like that, even having to navigate with siblings, that can be rough because you don't know how to properly communicate it while also maintaining your What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Emotions. Girl, you better say it. Because like at the end of the day, uh, a lot of times what, what I do is teach I talk about how to talk to the physicians, how to talk to the people at the nursing home, uh, what's needed at for, you know, because sometimes you can't do it at home. You know, times has changed. So you can't do all that care, 24-7 care at home on your own. And if you can't do it, don't feel guilty about not being able to do it. That's the thing, because because I can imagine if something were to happen with my mom and she had to come live with us. Sometimes mm-hmm. it becomes a burden on marriages and even mm-hmm. taking care of your kids. And so you feel bad that you can't do it. But also sometimes the boundary or the best type of care you can give is to put them somewhere where they're going to get 24 seven care and you aren't the one. Um, and that's an emotional transition for people at times. It's definitely emotional transition. And especially, I think more people saw doing the, you know, we never know that pandemic was going to come. And that's the part that showed a lot of people about their loved ones, how much they love their loved ones, how much, you know, okay, they're in a facility, but I can't see them. I can't lay an eye on them. I really don't know what's going on in that nursing home. You know, all of these things have came to the light. So caregivers are thinking differently now about their loved ones placed in a nursing home of of, of their loved ones who can probably transition from a nursing home uh, with the help of physical therapy, occupational therapy to assistant living so they can do things on their own. So it's different 
types of placement. Whereas my dad was able to live with us, I made things much better for him by living with me and my spouse at the time with my children. And so we was able to get those things that he needed. Um, I also, as, as, as time, I did get burnt out from taking care of my father at home. Uh, I became angry because days that he was mad at me, he would go to the restroom and smear bowel movement all over the door, the window, uh, because he's angry at me. Did he know who you were at that time? Like he, he knew you were- He didn't. At the, as time moved on, he did, he couldn't say my name. He gave me the name of boss because he felt like I was the It boss. was association a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was association that I was the boss of everything. You know, okay, boss, you know what I mean? <laughs> I have Miss Marianne, but I know it's not funny at the time, but- Wow. Yeah. So he associated me with boss. Um, he loved my spouse at the time. Him, they were best, best of friends, you know, because he knew how to handle him. He would talk to him, you know, take him out. He would, you know, he was good with my dad. And I have to give him credit for that. You know what I mean? Because he would take my dad out in a wheelchair to the mall. You know, we're in Chicago. He said, okay, I'm taking him out. You know, he could still walk to the you know, down the little stair, a couple of stairs. And he'll put him in a wheelchair, take the wheelchair and push him around in the mall so he could see people and eat at the mall. So he would do those type of things for him when he was still able to do some things. And because we had him with us for 12 years. Just imagine wow. with someone with dementia, type one, type two, all of it, until he couldn't even talk. He couldn't even talk. He Then he wound up having a stroke. I had him at home, two feeding and everything, you know. So we did the long haul. Wow. We did the long haul with him, you know what I mean? And I mean, life did change for me, you know. Couldn't go anywhere much. Um my sister, my older sister helped decide to help me with him because she was a caregiver for someone else and another taking care of another lady in the home. And I was like, what care, what home care are you working for? Cause I need help with dad at, at home. I'm working, you know, I'm working now. This is time has passed. You know, this is in the nineties going to 98, 2000s. Okay. And so I'm like, I need help with him, you know, cause nobody's volunteering with the help seeing that me and my husband and my small children is doing all of this. And so my sister was like, you know, I need to work that you know, you know, okay. I ain't gonna say all that. Uh, so uh, anyway, I found out the home care that she was working at. And so I got social services. So when you dealing with older people, you have to know the, the benefits of having a department of aging. So department of aging came to my home to see what my father qualified for. The services, and they go on their income, not my income, or my dad's income. Mm. of the services that he can have That's but also my dad worked 40 years yeah you know at one facility we don't do that no more girl we shot baby <laughs> i remember when i worked a job for three months my 90th <laughs> day was when i gave my was my last day i think it was the same week the, my my 90th day miss marianne was within my two weeks notice okay <laughs> so we don't do that no more 
<laughs> I know, I know, you know, because you know, as we know, the people we work for working for is not um dedicated to us either. This so, is true. This is true. You know, so we well, change opportunity you know, we, to like kind of get some assistance for him, which I want to say that because I feel like there are times where at some point eventually, now that may not always be the option in the beginning or the desire for the person in the beginning, because you often feel guilt around that, or mm -hmm. even might feel that from parents when you're growing up, you hear them say, don't ever put me in a nursing home. And as a kid or a young adult, you remember that. So you feel the obligation. The obligation is there. Well, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, I have told my children that. I'm honestly saying that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I yeah. put in the time. Oh, yeah. I feel like I, I apologize for that, but not really. Because I feel like I put in the time. I have provided. I, you know, but I ain't going to go there. No, <laughs> go back. But I, I say that to say as a, even, even as, I mean, I'm thinking to myself in my 30s, I was like, yeah, I don't want to be in a nursing home when I'm old. I want to be with my husband. Like, I want us to travel, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. like, even then you think about as a kid, you're hearing that. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking about, well, what to what depths, like how sick do you have to be before that becomes a thought process or where mom, would it be worse off if we kept you at home and then I can't take care of you to the point to where then if I put you somewhere they would be providing great care for you. And so Girl, those become those kind of like hard conversations. That's a difficult conversation to have with your adult children at that time. Because we don't, those are conversations that we do not like talking about. Okay, I know everybody know I'm African-American with my voice. Here. But, <laughs> so African-Americans are so, they do not want to talk about death. They don't want to talk about illness. They think we're going to be healthy forever. No, we are not. So we have to talk about those difficult conversations early in the game. And, and also too, the other thing I want to also oh, mention of is also culturally, yeah. we don't talk, we have, we weren't reared up. Yes. I, my age group, at least. Now, we, you know, everybody talking about the soft life and all that kind of stuff. Now, Ms. Yes. Marianne. Yes. But our age group is just now getting to the point of understanding what proper self-care is. Because as a kid, I grew up watching my mom work herself to the bone. Yeah. And trying to sustain that lifestyle and mentality as a new mom, as a working mom, because now also too... Working because you've seen it happen. That's why you it happen, but also working in this age versus my mom's age is different. Mm -hmm. She worked in the 90s. Yeah. So the pay was different then. Like yeah. things cost less. Yeah. Now I'm, you know, have to work because things cost more. And so even the balance looks different. And so we're kind of like my age group, I'll say, like, we're kind of like, I ain't trying to work myself to, to die. I want to work myself so that way I can. I can enjoy life. So when you think about that, it becomes like a very challenging thing to think about of what would be proper for long-term sustainment for my family. And so it, 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 it is those difficult conversations to have with your children, but it also is those necessary conversations to have. So that way there's care on both ends because yeah. I'm going to care for you as I can even 
take care of myself too. Yeah. So that that plays a big part. Selfish, but it also is like, what's realistic? That's always my question. Like, what's honestly realistic? Yeah. So when you have, I I definitely believe exactly all of that what you just said. But I always say, who are today's family caregivers? So now I'll just give you share some statistics I have at this moment. Thirty four percent boomers are family caregivers. 29 are Gen X, 23 are millennials, and 7% are silent. And then the 6% is Gen Zs. So just think about that when you're thinking about the conversation, how this is going to happen, okay? And when you're moving forward, as you become that main caregiver, you need to have all those documents in place. You know, the power of attorney, the power of attorney, the power of attorney of health care, finances, you know what I mean? Life insurance. Uh, life insurance. Basic life uh, insurance, Miss. Basic Ms. life insurance. Like, you know, you can also have, uh, you know, that uh, long-term life insurance. A lot of people don't know about the long-term life insurance with that, that carries over from your regular insurance so that uh, if you want custodial care, the long-term life insurance carry over for the uh, uh, custodial care, meaning that person can come and wash your parents up at home. It's not part of Medicare if they Medicare age or if they don't qualify for Medicare. Some parents never worked. Yeah. And so they can only get Medicaid yeah. from the state. Period. So these are the things that as you, you know, the generation is moving forward and the things necessary to talk about with your parents, and and if you are the main caregiver, uh, and if you it's a group of y'all as the caregivers, let's talk about this. You know, uh, the parent themselves have to be open mm-hmm. to talk about it themselves as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be t- open to talk about uh, one day I'm not going to be here, and what is my plans for myself? <clears throat> and so I think that goes back to having some basic things in order. And then I would love for you to talk about like the services you provide as a caregiver life coach, but I think it goes back to, like you said, African-Americans kind of understanding that in this day and age, like we have to really work through the uncomfortability of obligation and really truly what's going to be helpful. Because even as a caregiver, you're not taught mm-hmm. what what that actually looks like. You go to the doctor, you hear what the doctor say, but you don't really know what questions to ask, how to handle it. I think that's something you, I see you shaking your head, Ms. Marion, like, you're super passionate about but also on the other side of that basic thing is when I got pregnant with my first son one of the first things me and Nico talked about was life insurance he was like you're a black woman because he he was the one that implemented he was like you're a black woman now carrying a child with the way that mortality is with black women we need to get you life insurance and those are things that are scary to think about their reality if something were to happen to me he wouldn't have the money to bury me as they say in the black folks church pass that head around (laughs) and when my grandmother passed i remember we had to scramble to get this money for her funeral we had to ask each other for money to fund my grandmother's funeral. i remember this and so having life insurance having a power of attorney do you want to uh indy or is it a a DNR. A DNR. A DNR, a, a DNI. Those things I teach. 
you know what I mean? I, I, I emphasize as far as I, I make you have, um, it's the knowledge. It's all about the knowledge that you have when you come and talking to a doctor. So me, I want to educate caregivers. So my program, I do educate the caregivers on how to talk to the physician so they can look at you and say, oh, okay. You got it. You understand what I'm not got it, but because because they're gonna you know. assume that you know, yeah, and they're yeah, not gonna. Yeah. They may not ask, or they may ask you, and you're like, yes, but you have truly no idea. And most of us don't really ask out of embarrassment. Yes, we don't want to feel embarrassed. We don't want to feel like we don't know about our. But truly, y'all like y'all gotta get past it. Like there is just. I remember I would go to my pregnancy appointment, my OB, and I would ask her questions about why I was in pain in certain places. Mm-hmm. And she would just be like, it's just because you're pregnant. So I'm like, you know, I just need to make sure because I don't know. I've never been pregnant, so I don't know. But these are like, you think, oh, you know, they're going to tell you. But no, you need to ask these questions. And I'll have like, I have a high risk doctor and he'll tell me, you are the patients we dream about because you want to ask. I was like, I'm going out of town. What do I need to take with me? Do I need to have something on the plane? He was like, you are so funny, but you're asking the right questions because mm-hmm. you rather be informed than not be informed. That's true. And so as a caregiver, where the person themselves doesn't have the knowledge or the ability may may not to advocate for themselves, it's really important that you know a person knows about these documents Mm-hmm. And even with the power of an attorney, your rights as a person taking care of them, because it can easily slip away to where you don't know and can't really advocate the way you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, with being a caregiver is not, as I continue to say, it's not an easy job, not an easy task at all. And so when you're going into that role, because right instantly, immediately, instantly, we say, okay, we're the caregiver. We can do it and not knowing all the different avenues around what you're going to be doing as that care main person, that caregiver that takes that role. Yeah. So as a, as a caregiver life coach, what are some of the things or the frameworks you teach to assist people through that process? Okay. So first I teach them how to, the changing of the mindset of being a caregiver. Do you have this mindset to do all of these things that's going to come to you? So that mindset has to shift, you know, while you're being a caregiver for your loved one. Definitely that. Also, I help you to navigate the healthcare system, meaning that different things, what's that, who are you taking care of and what's their diagnosis? Let's learn about the d- disease that they have, you know, what's entail, you know, learning about their medications, you know, all the things that you need to know about that loved one that you're taking care of, you know, because as once we, the the most afraid, uh, the frightening thing I see is that the caregiver does not know that that person have that illness. So we are so ashamed of uh, telling them, okay, I got high blood pressure. I'm a diabetic. Uh, you know, those simple diagnoses, you know, we're going to share if we have cancer because we want them to know. But the silent things we don't talk about, you know, but those type of things can hit us faster than the cancer, you know, because if you have high blood pressure and a diabetic, that causes you to have congestive heart failure because a lot of times those things are not working. 
because you're not eating right. So all of those things play the part in it, you know. So most mostly time we are talking about the diseases. We are talking about, you know, who if are they seeing specialists? Not just a regular doctor. Are you seeing, you know, the specialists Man, that you need to be seeing? That's good. That's good. And so, um, uh, and I talk about that because at the end of the day. If you're not seeing the right doctors to provide the right care for you, then you're not getting the care that you need. You know, and you might not get, be getting the right medication or you don't want to take the medication. A lot of times now this new, you know, generation don't want to take their medications. You know, so who who being smart? Because you don't have to continue to take the medication. You can start off, but now you have to change your diet. You have to exercise. You have to do so many things to change how your body what's going on with your body you don't want to abruptly stop taking the medication because when you do that you're asking your own self for a stroke stop taking high blood pressure medicine for six months my nephew did it he was 35 years old had a major stroke now he's in a wheelchair forever instead of talking to the doctor changing his diet you know what i mean those simple things so don't just abruptly stop taking the medication. Talk to your provider, your doctor, and ask them, I want to get off this medicine. What do I need to do? See a dietitian. You know, those type of things that I... And those are, and those are other services that can mm, be that's provided. Provided with your insurance. And I think about that when it comes to mental health, because I think people kind of just rely on sometimes psychotropic medications mm -hmm. versus like actually seeing a therapist. And I tell clients like, it becomes you like just kind of putting a bandaid on a wound that won't heal if you just take medications, but don't really gain the skills to work through that as well. Yeah. And so I'm glad you said that. Uh, what are some other things that you teach? You, I know you talked about the financial part. You talk about that. And also I teach uh, what I call care mapping. Okay. So, you know, as I told you, I only had one person that was helping me with my dad. So I learned about care mapping, which I talked to that person and find out least let's find you five people that will say yes to your help. Even if you can put that person on your list for an hour so you can go out for exercise for an hour. If you're taking care of your family member at home and that person can watch them for one hour so you can go outside and walk to do something for yourself because self-care is not selfish. Because you got to take care of yourself. Because you want to take care of yourself so you can take care of them. So I do care mapping with that person. And we find out who that person is. We put them on that care mapping. We talk to them. Are you committed to this? This is something as a commitment. You know, so when that person gets tired and saying, I'm tired of the commitment, but I can find you someone else. So what So what would you say to someone with who is making a care map? who is a caregiver themselves, who feels like a burden to other people around this? What would you tell them? I would say that that sounds, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Help is available. You know, if you can't get your family members to help, you're going to find someone in your church group, you know, but no one knows if you don't ask for help. And the other side of that too, Miss Miss Marianne, is that, what I have found from not only my own life, but even helping clients is that when you feel like you're a burden, you in it almost 
all the time. Consequently from that, you feel resentful of other people. Mm-hmm. You feel like nobody wants to help. You feel tired all the time. You're very irritable. You almost feel anxious all the time having to take care of it. It's almost like unresolved anxiety from having to know that you have to help people. And I and, remember being that angry caregiver, man, back in the day. And everybody said, oh, she's so mean. Susan. I didn't realize I was just being angry because I had this role. And, and you I were burnt so, out. And I was totally burnt out. And now they see a different me. And everybody's like, oh. And it can sometimes be as simple as you saying, yeah. I need a break. Yeah. Totally. It can be sometimes as simple as you saying, I need a day. Yeah, and yeah. you'll be surprised just how much that day would change your whole attitude for a week. Yes. Or a day where you can just get some sleep totally. from just being able to do that. Because I always tell people, and this is just me, that when my son goes with my mom, I don't have to mother. Like the, the even though he may not be, he's not physically with me. I, my brain, even though he's in the house, I could be working. Like right now I'm talking to you, Marian, but he's in the living room playing with his dad. My brain is still in mother mode. Mm-hmm. I can't turn that off until I know he's like maybe somewhere where he's like at daycare with my mom. Mm-hmm. So as a caregiver, you can't turn that caregiving part off. And even when you do get a break, you still probably can't turn it off. But you have a moment to say, I'm doing something for myself. Yeah. And long as, like you say, once you once you put the realization that they're in a safe place, because it's always that you're always gonna feel that I feel, even when I would go away and my sister would take on the road, she would take care of dad for a weekend for me, and I go away. I still thought about me and just give him his medicine, but then once I think about it, she's gonna do all that she can do to take care of him. I might as well enjoy my time away. Because I know me and my husband do things differently, and I just come to understand like it is what it is. Sometimes, sometimes, truly, does stuff better than me. Yeah, totally, and that's okay. And And so, so okay, okay. So we talked about that. You talk about the financial part. Uh, Anything else that you share? Well, I also share that if you're taking care of your loved ones at home, and you know all these things that I think when family members really don't see that if your loved ones at, uh, in a acute setting in a hospital had a major stroke and you want them to come home instantly, sometimes they can't. You got to allow them to go to rehab, Yeah, you know, but you want to do everything. Come on, I'm going to get them home. And some, I have seen this happen recently, you know, they'll take them home and now they want them to come back into the emergency room so they can get back to the rehab center because they couldn't do it. They couldn't take care of them because they was not prepared. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, I see that the hospitals, and I'm not talking about nobody hospital, <laughs> but I don't see them giving them all the tools to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. how to, you know, change a dressing, you know, wound care, you know what I mean? How to use the G2 feeding tube, all of those different Listen. things. Listen, because it's a whole thing. And when you don't have the proper understanding about it, you feel ill-equipped. You end up having a YouTube stuff that really should have been taught in the hospital. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So oh, I, I, I see all of that. So I will say just in general, y'all from having had coach Miss Marianne, when I did show up sis and really having had known her over this time, she is extremely passionate about helping caregivers. So if you are a caregiver and you find that you are just struggling and you don't have a safe space, or you find that you really are having a hard time navigating through, you have questions about stuff that you don't even know you have questions. If something on this podcast hits you, we only talked for a certain amount of time, but she has years and years and years of knowledge. And I would say more personally, if I was in this situation, I would talk, I would call you and be like, Ms. Marianne, please help me understand what to do. And so if you need that help, please reach out to her. I'm saying this and I will say it till I'm blue in the face because she is 1000% passionate about helping other caregivers have support and know and learn the things that they need to do, but also provide the safe space to be able to say, I'm struggling and that's okay if you're struggling. So uh, why don't you tell people where you can find you? Of course, I will have all of Ms. Marianne's information if you're interested in possibly working with her. Uh, she has a ton of resources, but also working with her more personally, she would take her time with you and also be very, very helpful throughout the process with you. So why don't you tell the people where they can find you and also provide us with some of the things that you uh, do, Miss Marianne? Yes. Okay. So you can find me on my website, which is caregivercorner.co, C-O. And on that website, I have a caregiver course. If you never did caregiving, there's a course there available for you. Also, you can uh, go to that website as well to get on my Candidly, Candidly uh, account, which is uh, Candidly.com, uh, Mary Ann Johnson. I do give 15-minute consultations just to talk about what's going on and see can I help you in that conversation or also we can you know go further. But definitely check out the website. I have things available. And also I have a podcast. It's called Caregiverologist Podcast with Marianne Johnson. It's on all the um, podcast sites. Also all the podcast platforms. Platforms that you can check out. Uh, I talk about a lot of things about caregiving. So uh, yeah, check me out. I hope to, you know, talk to whoever needs caregiver, a caregiving life coach. Because, you know, caregiving is not a solo activity. So you can't do it alone, but you can get a team so you can be successful as a caregiver and also continue to have your own life. All right. Thank you, Roslyn. So You're welcome. much. It's Thank been a joy. Yeah, this was so good. This is so good. So I have all of um, Ms. Marion's information. Y'all, please, I, I'm, I don't toot a lot of horns, but I'm tooting her horn on this one because she really, really is so good at this and super passionate um, so I would love for you to have the opportunity to work with her if you're super interested. So definitely check out her information in the show notes. Um, and if you have any questions, just let me know or her know. And I love y'all and we'll talk next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.